This is the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. How about my parents with a foresight have given me that middle name? Comes in handy sometimes. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode two of season uno of the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. Glad to be with you. I am the lead follower of a relatively young church called Mission Church. I curate a nonprofit with my oldest son called LQVE.org. That's LQVE. Love spelled with a Q. It's a relationship that we have with some good friends down in Haiti. So I invite you to check into that. I'm also an author. I've got a couple of books out, and I've got a brand new one, maybe by the time this episode is released, though I think it might be a little bit after. The new book will have hit the digital bookstores, because currently that's the plan, just on digital format only. And we'll see how that goes, and hopefully it'll move into physical copies later. Let's see, the snappy working title of the newest book is Questions About Sexuality That Got Me Uninvited From My Denomination which proves, once again, I cannot write a book with a short title. But don't hold that against me. I hope if you have any interest in the topic at all, that you will uh, take a read and find out about it. And also just be aware that a lot of the uh, of Season Uno here on this podcast is dedicated towards unpacking it. Not all of it, but a lot of it in real indirect ways is... Um, Many of the folks that I interview and lots of the topics that I discuss are an effort. I do so in an effort to try to help bring some illumination to some folks who are trying to figure out how I have been connecting the dots. So I never I never set out to necessarily be more inclusive and to want to learn how to read the sacred text we call the Bible differently per se. But it just turns out the more I dove into what I thought was the most important thing, and I continue to think is the most important thing, uh, the more my eyes were opened uh, to love. And by the way, that is the most important thing, is love. And so once you see something, it's just real tough to unsee it. Um, In fact, it's impossible. So that's kind of where this is all going. It's a big part of what this podcast is about. But with respect to my former denomination, I certainly, I don't hold any ill will toward them. I wish them all the best. But in the meantime, you know, it's been a lot to journey through for me and uh, for our church and for a lot of friends and loved ones. So we're just trying to figure out ways to to get at it in, in a with a healthy perspective, and I finally decided that uh, writing a little book would be one of the ways to do that. So today we continue the dialogue about that and lots of other really important things because there's so many things that play into life and theology and philosophy and mental health and just being people who want to be about love. 
And as we continue that topic today, I've invited my friend, Dr. Johan Trudeau, to be with us. You are going to enjoy this. If you like to think, then you're going to love this conversation with Johan. We get into a lot because that's what happens whenever you talk with Johan, whether you're recording or not. This is basically like our normal conversations. Johan is the author of a book called Mildred Banks' Wine Coop, Her Life and Thought, which is a really important theological work. So if you like to read, I encourage you to pick that up. Johan has his doctorate, his PhD from the University of Manchester out of England. And he's been one of those real live theological influences on my life that mean the world to me. I'm not sure I would be where I'm at uh, with my brain and my heart and health if it wouldn't if it wasn't for his input. So I'm really thankful for him. As we get ready to get into this, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, feel free to follow me on SoundCloud. If you're looking at your computer screen, I think it's a little icon off to the right there. If you're on your phone, I have no idea where it's at, but it's got to be on there somewhere. That's half of the point. Uh, If you like it, please share it with friends and family. Then again, if you don't like it, don't share it with friends and family. I mean, it's pretty simple that way. There are other social media places to find me, and I think I listed those at the end of the episode today. You can find that stuff in the show notes as well as Dr. Johan's information and his book in the show notes. But uh, thanks so much. And uh, at this point, you know what I want? I want to hear a little more of that cool podcast music. simple question i know <laughs> well jonathan it's uh, it's good to hang here with you and uh to explore just the evolution of of thought as as we have come to arrive at where we are and there's a keen awareness for me that there's a trajectory in my thought and that i just find myself in constant movement and that this is a dynamic Mm. Uh, development and theology is something that is always kind of on the move and you always have to have your ear to the ground and there's so many new developments and making this to be a very fascinating and uh, interesting actually earth-shaking time Mm -hmm. of a season in the life of of uh, if I could say general American evangelicalism Mm -hmm. and uh so for me, uh, I find myself um, in a very small bubble, religious bubble in the uh, Republic of South Africa, uh, growing up as a pastor's kid of a Nazarene pastor who, who, grew, who grew up dust reformed. Mm. And uh, my dad was raised that God decrees everything from a distance, you know, and mm-hmm. so you don't really have a say in the matter, you know. <laughs> And so uh, it really always just kind of made it interesting to me because I wondered about love because love always requires uh, a response. And um, and so it can't just be a one-way street, you know. Mm. But um, growing up as a, as a pastor's kid, I think uh, because it's a small denomination and you kind of have to uh, try to define yourself in the big arena um, there was a very much, I would say, almost an obsession with correct thinking, uh, correct doctrine, 
and um, and I think fear also had a lot to do with it. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, and how everything was framed in terms of. So I grew up watching movies like The Thief in the Night and. Uh, going to youth camp, I don't know. I probably got saved about forty times uh, <laughs> over my my short lifespan there. Um, but uh, I think that um, there was some there were some things that happened to me that I have, did not really put together uh, until much later in life. Because when you grow up, you're not able to be objective to it, and I think you have to be exposed to a much bigger world and different hear different voices in order to to be able to assess or to kind of deconstruct a little bit about why do I believe this way. And and obviously there came a time where um, you put language to your faith and then you become, you, you get to produce and you, you, you get a ministry. And so I, I kind of followed my dad's footsteps in a sense. And I, I went to, the front line, I fought in the Angola border war for two years and got a calling there. And then uh, started doing uh, my bachelor's degree at the University of Johannesburg and focused on, on Hebrew. And uh, it was, uh, I did my, my, my major with Greek as a minor. I was just kind of weird. I don't think you get, I don't think you get bachelor's degrees with Hebrew as a, as a major in, in America, but mm. um, because of the Dutch reformed culture there. The seminaries required that, you know. But as I studied Hebrew, there was a real uh, awareness of the, uh, the unified personality and uh, versus uh, the Platonic Greek understanding, philosophical understanding, where we get divided into a, uh, a body, soul, and spirit, mm-hmm. and the things get s- separated up, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be my first kind of discovery where I was starting to look back from that lens um, and realized, came to the realization that I don't, I don't have a soul, uh, but that I am a soul, and and also I don't have a body. Mm-hmm. I am a body, mm-hmm. and what are the what are the implications of that? Right. And uh, and so a lot of things were kind of disembodied uh, ideas that when well, my spirituality was was defined. Uh, that somewhere in me is this real me called the soul, and that somehow I need to feed this real me. But it was disconnected with my body as such. And and so those were some of the f- first senses of, of something evolving in my mind. Say, I need to have different lenses about how I view things. Uh, later in life, looking back, uh, my mom, when I was 10 years old, she had... Um, um, she had a complete uh, nervous breakdown, a cathartic, where she didn't speak to us for six, six months. Mm-hmm. And so um, during that time, I did not know that um, the, the attachment disconnection there, uh, and a little bit of a sense of abandonment, mm-hmm. um, was, had profound impact on me mm-hmm. without me realizing it. And then when, my, when I was 15, my parents meant very well, but I was left behind for two years. My, mo- my mom and dad and my three younger siblings came to the Kansas City to come, and, to come to the Nazarene Seminary, but I didn't see my mom and dad for, for, for two years wow. when I was age 15. And I think that the sense of abandonment there a little bit, later on I was able to connect with Jesus on the cross where it seems like when he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? 
And I was, I was raised as that, yeah, God couldn't look at sin, and mm-hmm. God turned his face from his own son mm-hmm. because he became sin for me. And then when I started... And, and that phrase, why have you forsaken me, is supposedly proof that that happened, yeah. Yeah. Which is and, not necessarily, yeah. And, and, and so then I'm supposed to, uh, you know, follow, take up my cross and follow him, and can I, if I join him on the cross, does it mean that God's also abandoning me? No, because I, and, and, you know, I was in a sense abandoned as well. Mm-hmm. And there was some gaps in my affection. And my parents loved me and, you know, they meant well. And I, sure. I they, I'm not saying this to put them right. down. I, right. I'm just saying that there were some of the, those were some of the dots that mm-hmm. personally was making some connections for me. And when I read Psalm 22 and I recognized that Jesus was schooled in the Psalms, in the school of prayer as a rabbi, that when he was quoting Psalm 22, we, we usually always just uh, quote the verse 1. But when you go to verse 24 of, of, of Psalm 22... And we're talking now about the same verse, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, yeah, and that same uh, same chapter, because that's only for verse 1 of Psalm 22. Right. Um, but you go to verse 24, uh, and it says, and God turned his face to his son, you know. And so... You have to really. I have a sense that Jesus was praying the whole whole psalm, you know, and, and and echoing that. And so probably they only heard him saying that, mm-hmm. but um, and that God does not turn His face from from His own Son and on why, the cross. And why is that? Why is that so important? I think that um, we. Um, I don't feel like Jesus needs to be reconciled to the Father. Mm. Um, I think that it's it's also that we don't we can't um, I feel like Jesus in giving himself uh, over to be sacrificed uh, on the cross to be crucified uh, was expressing the heart of the Father, which is a heart of love, and mm. uh, doing so, um, and not because God planned that for him mm-hmm. because if he did then um, it creates a, a lot of theological conundrums for me because then what about Pilate and, and all these people that, that they just become players in this whole plot yeah. to get Jesus die, to die mm-hmm. and it just doesn't make sense to me yeah. you know and so um, so so yeah that's kind of some of the original uh, yeah. things that that is just on a personal level got me to start uh, deconstructing this a little bit and say, what do I really believe? And especially in light of the penal satisfaction theory of atonement that is so dominant, which I really feel like originates in the heart of justice and that the, the heart of justice and um, God's will is more important than the actual essential character of God's nature that mm-hmm. is love. Um, and so, um, what do you do when people, um, I know, uh, I've had conversations and, and especially people that come out of our tradition, there's just this heavy emphasis on, well, he's love, but he's also, and then fill in the blank. And it's usually, he's also holy. But he's also just is sometimes another word. Uh, how do you respond when, when people say that and, and equate the two and, and give them both the same yeah. weight? 
Yeah, I think holy, holy, that the fact that it's holy, in a sense, uh, we've always thought of it in terms of holy other. Um, but I think that I really don't, I struggle with the omnis, you know. We, we talk about the omnipotence, the the omniscience, mm-hmm. and um, um, what's the other one? Well, there's uh, the yeah. Omni Center where the Atlanta Hawks used to play basketball. <laughs> right. okay, but you're not talking about that. No, I'm not talking about that. Omnipresence, omniscience, <laughs> omnipotence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the, big, the omnis, you know, mm-hmm. I call them the omnis. And they, they're very ph- ph- they're, uh, philosophical constructs. And I think that... We also talk about the the essential or uh, the eminent trinity itself, or the economic trinity. And the economic trinity would be like how um, I think God is is trinitarian, and there's a relationality in the trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it's almost like a, sense, a social community, and the glue that that defines the essence um, of the trinity. Their ushia, their very essence, their very being is love, mm. and um, and so out of that, God sends uh, His Son. It's not even so much ascending uh, and response to, but it's it's really to come and and hang out with His with His creation. And so I think that when we talk about um, the holiness, the holy other, I think we have to see that being expressed in, in the way that God created Axel Moore. He created out of love. He created us for fellowship, and he wanted to come and hang out with us. So Yeah, it's, re- it's always got to come back to relationship at some point. Very much so. Yeah. And so the relationality of the Trinity then right. is extended um, in where God takes on a human form. And so the Holy Spirit, who is then part of of Christ is then made accessible to us as well. So you're saying, um, in a, in essence, um, His holiness, His relational love. Um, I'm trying to get it in the right order. Impacts His holiness, or His holiness impacts His love, which is always a relationship. I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, holiness was always explained to me. I, I relate to part of what you're saying, like this other thing, like this thing that's beyond me. It's outside of me. It's this pure... Yeah, purity, like, especially yeah, purity. sealed off thing, mm-hmm. and I had to figure out a way to get there somehow. Yeah. And, um, but what you're saying is that, that, that no, it, it's, it, that love is relational, love is with us. And this really plays out on the cross, because if God isn't with Jesus, first of all, how does that even work? Because they're together. Um, I mean, like, where is he and why would he leave and why love doesn't do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think we can, um, there is a, we see it in the the way that the Israelites were instructed to, to uh, build a temple with a tabernacle and yet Holy of Holies, that was, Kind of only the high priest can go, mm-hmm. can go in there, and then if we tie the rope around his foot, and I'll, I'll, yeah, in case something happens, and then you have to pull him out, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the structure of the of the Jews was to get in, but we see really in reality it's God coming out of the holy of holies to come into our world. It's not so much about. Uh, us getting in, it's it's about opening the doors for him to have access because he's coming towards us. Mm. The movement is towards us, mm-hmm. 
and uh, and when you're moving towards uh, from the outer courts into the you know all the different courts you have to go through to get to the holy of holies, uh, and you have to be uh, you have to be either a woman or your court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Jews, and. <laughs> You have to have certain kind of levels exclusive. of exclusive, and, and you have to have your act together. And if you really have it together, then you can make it in there somehow. There's a great chapter in Stricken by God early on, and I can't remember which one of the authors, um, but reverses that whole thing. Yes. And so it makes me wonder, like, I've been really curious since reading that a couple of years ago, if in fact, in the very beginning, if that was the that really was the intent to express more of God coming to us. And yeah. and then we are the ones that throughout time flipped that. Like, I wonder if the original Hebrews thought yeah. more in, the, in those terms or not. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the sacrifices was more fellowship, you know, to have mm-hmm. fellowship with, mm-hmm. with him instead mm-hmm. of, okay, we got to have this um, a sacrifice made to take our place, you know. And, yeah. Um, the substitutionary, the substitutionary, part of it. Yeah. And, and I and I understand that there is substitution mm-hmm. in some way, but sure. it's but it's. I think we need to when you look at the um, um, Passover meal, uh, you the the focus is on on fellowship, and um, so it's a. I I think that love uh, is is there, but obviously, the, the holiness. Uh, is um, I think it was presented to me as I have to really so much emphasis was put on my effort and yeah. and what I can produce and how morally pure I can be and a lot of it was microethics you know, don't smoke don't dance and don't chew and don't and what's, mm-hmm. what's the other one about and dating da- girls that do and all that kind of <laughs> well, stuff you have to get the poem in the right I order gotta get it in it the right way. yeah <laughs> I, mean, I can't help you with your comedy. We got right. we got bigger issues here. Right, That's bigger issues. Yes, yeah. but I, I I do feel that um, we when when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and said, you know, you you strain a gnat and uh, something about the camel. You yeah, know. easier for the yeah camel to go through an eye of an But I mean, they were focusing not they didn't focus on the bigger issues of justice and mercy and issues of faith. Um, and I've, I grew up in a, a legalistic environment mm-hmm. where so much we majored in the micros instead of majoring in the major things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the apartheid society that I grew up in didn't really reinforce a lot of this effort um, and getting your act together. Um, and I think that so much emphasis was placed on cleansing. Mm-hmm. That you had to be cleansed for of something, mm-hmm. um, and so for me that creates a bridge for me to talk a little bit about um, when I uh, I didn't really realize this, but as I as I start doing some of my uh, research on on theology of love of Mildred Banks Winecoop, mm-hmm. I spent six years uh, researching researching her life and all the influ- all the things that influenced her. Uh, I I wasn't really doing it to, to get an academic career. I was just really, really curious about her because when my dad came, mom and dad came to America, my dad uh, fell in love with uh, Mildred Weinkup's theology, mm-hmm. theology of love. And when he introduced that in South Africa in the, in the Bible college as a professor, I ended up in a, in a, a heresy trial. <laughs> 
Um, and so here I am. Uh, yeah, at that time, I was in America, and it was a very curious to me why. It's, it seems like people would much rather embrace language like cleansing and actually calling for people's repentance and, uh, and fear, and if they don't repent, they're going to go to hell, versus um, God loves everyone. Mm, and, imagine that. And, and it seems like people have a hard time with love. Um, it seems like the religious people have the hardest time. Yeah, and they, they love to judge mm-hmm. others, you know. Um, and so I, as, I, as I studied uh, wine coop and uh, d- eventually made it uh, part of my PhD project, uh, and I, I put her in conversation with John Wesley, uh, that was, it was just a fascinating journey for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent six years with other students at the University of Manchester in England, and uh, my eyes just really expanded. Because one of the things I discovered is that <laughs> Um, is that wine coop and essentially followed more the Eastern fathers than the West, than the West, and especially like guys like Irenaeus from the very early church fathers, and uh, I would say Irenaeus is one of the earliest uh, mm-hmm. theologians that really got a handle on the the why, why, mm-hmm. why are we here? Why is the church here? You know, and uh, some of the first things that that was a very eye-opening thing to me was that she discovered, along with Irenaeus, that, that she separated image and likeness and didn't make it something that is a Hebrew parallelism. And she separated image, uh, and, um, and the image was the ability to, um, to, to be an imager, to, to project God. So, so you're going back to... Uh, <clears throat> First, first chapter of Genesis. First chapter yeah. of Genesis, God's yeah. Image and yeah, and 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 she really uh, emphasized that we cannot start with the fall. We mm-hmm. have to start with with what God's creational purpose for, uh, 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 that we're good and that yeah. He that He likes us. Okay, why is that important? <laughs> I. I, I think that um, it, it really ties with your question about the cross yeah. because if if uh, I was raised that well uh, why did Jesus come or well, God sent His Son to come and die for us for our sins yeah. you know mm-hmm. and it's like okay so really is that is that really the purpose and how so it really the, the story then begins with the fall and yeah. and. Um, but if you're going to begin with the beginning, really, and I would, I would say is that there was a guy named Anselm uh, in the uh, 12th century, and he asked this big question in, in Latin, Cur Dios homo, uh, uh, why, did God, why did Jesus become a, a human being? Mm-hmm. Why did he become a human? Mm-hmm. I think that is a, that's the question, I think. Why did mm-hmm. he come? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that he came to to show us how to be human. He came to show us um, the love of the Father. Mm-hmm. He, he came to establish His kingdom. And He came to His own because He made this whole planet His kingdom. And, uh, and so how does that connect with, you just mentioned, the starting with um, that the fact that God likes us rather than starting with sin? Yeah, you know what's fascinating to me is is that in the West uh, we we learned that uh, learned that Adam and Eve was created perfect, yeah. 
mm-hmm. and um, they dwelt with him in, in the garden. And then when he screwed up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I committed uh, adultery. Darn tree. You know, mm-hmm. uh, with a snake, yeah. uh, when they started worshiping mm-hmm. one of God's creatures, mm-hmm. um, there was a... There was a sense that the fall was this big, big thing that happened, you know. So it's like you're perfect. So the if you're going to be perfect, so the fall is just a huge deal. Yeah. Whereas in the Eastern tradition, they they didn't come from that perspective. They 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 felt that, and I only discovered this as I'm learning about the Eastern tradition mm-hmm. that Adam was created more. And Eve was more as like a moral infant. Not that they were real infants, but they morally, and and that the garden was more of a place of probation and that God wanted to kind of um, help him to learn and and grow Mm -hmm. and expand. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and and Aronaius, he loves to talk about the two hands of God who created us. The left hand is image and the right hand is likeness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and the image is Christ and likeness is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I love this sense that the father and the son, the left hand and the Holy Spirit, the right hand embraces us. You Mm -hmm. know, I love that image of the divine embrace. And I never had those kind of concepts, you know, and, um, and so I feel like uh, in the Eastern tradition, uh, the fall was not as, yes, there was a fall, but it was more a sense of a, a relational breakdown that, that led to death. And because mortality came to be a part of the human experience, there was a lot of more perspective of compassion and that, that Christ came to assume our humanity to heal us rather than the way I was raised uh, in the West where I'm, I'm in a courtroom and it's, you know, I, mm. it's a kind of a, a judiciary kind of a framework mm-hmm. and I'm guilty mm-hmm. and, uh, and the judge, the God's the judge, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and in the Eastern tradition, it's more therapeutic and more a sense of God wants to restore me, He wants to heal me. And I discovered through Weinkoop that that we did not lose the, the image. Um, and um, it just, because um, our capacity to love is ipso facto part of what it's like to be a human being. We just end up wrong, loving the wrong things. Mm. Um, and uh, our, our ability to have faith is ipso facto part of... of um, of what it's like to be a human being. And so the opposite of no faith is not, of, of, sorry, the opposite of faith is not no faith, but it's rebellion. Because yeah. we all have faith in something. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so, so she wrestled with this, and she came up with that. If God gave them the law to keep, and they didn't have the moral capacity or even the makeup because they had lost something, it would be an immoral request to ask them to keep the law. Mm. And so she felt like, they um, they didn't lose any of their capacity. It just went more dormant, um, mm-hmm. and it needed kind of the the Holy Spirit to uh, uh, to awaken that. Mm-hmm. And that's why she would never she struggled in using the word to restore, because it's a restore would be something that was lost and has to be restored. She loved more the idea of renewing something that's already there. That's good. And um, 
and, 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 and how it plays out in real practical life is, is that uh, if we say I don't live a life in fellowship with Christ because I can't, I don't have the capacity, then you can say, well, it's because I can't. But she felt like, well, it's, it's because we, we don't want to. Yeah. We, it's all there, and yeah. given the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who awakens us and who woos us, um, the, uh, you know. There's a difference between I can't do it and I won't do it. Yeah, and so she's more on the side of the won't. Yeah. Yeah. And not so much even won't. It's just, if you put it from a therapeutic and the healing side of things, um, we need more enlightenment and we need more exposure to how God really views us. And uh, I think the tendency with Adam and Eve was, of, of, in the story of Adam and Eve, um, was that they were hiding in the bush, and so they were masking with fig leaves, and, and they went hiding. And God has to come looking for them. Mm. And I think it's more of us coming out of, coming out of, out of um, isolation, mm-hmm. um, and opening ourselves to. But how beautiful yeah. is it from the very beginning? God's God's looking for us. He's looking for us, and that's yeah. the movement all the way along. Yeah, yeah, and not as a judge, but as one who wants to say, "Hey, man, let's let's keep going." And, but uh, you can see how um, you know those of us who grew up in the other paradigm. You know, when you start with sin, you don't start with a divine embrace. You know, the hug, the affection. Mm-hmm. Um, you start with the fact that you're sin and you're broken in this massive fall. Mm-hmm. And then that slots Jesus in to having to fix all of that. And so now at the cross, you can see why they would say, you know, God wasn't. Yeah. It's it's all, it's really amazing uh, in my life over the last really five years, how it almost all of it has flipped for me. Mm-hmm. It's like 180 degrees different than what yeah. I was taught. And like you were saying earlier, I don't, I grew up in a very similar environment. I think well-intended family and people that love me. Um but I always struggled with what, what did love mean? I didn't have the language for it, but what did love? Now, looking back, I was asking, what does it mean to love when you had to, you know, when God had to kill his son in order to express that love to me? Yeah. yeah that just not, doesn't yeah. seem right. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of appeasing the gods, you know, yeah. with a... Uh, with the child sacrifice in the yeah. Old, Old Testament, you yeah. Know. And if we, if if we, if I knew that you were had intentions like that for you for your kids, I would call the police. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, it's okay for God to have. That's wild. Yeah, I think. Well, we're going to fade it out there. We've got a whole another 30 or 40 minutes of conversation with Dr. Chadu. We'll get to that next time. That'll be episode three of season uno. Meanwhile, if you're bored, check out Jonathan Foster author on Facebook or Jonathan underscore Foster on Twitter. Let's see. The website's jonathanfosteronline.com. I'll see if I can find some more places some more URLs to give you between now and next time. Oh, I guess I should mention Amazon. Yeah, go ahead and try to find my books on there. That'd be cool. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm glad to be having this dialogue with you. Reach out if you've got a question or a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Meanwhile, have a great week.